This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. As usual, I'm joined on the phone lines by my friends. I've got Arif Roos. He's that man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, Richard. Hello, Daniel. And of course, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Good evening, gentlemen, and hello, friends. And you know, Richard, I just have to say this. I think it's about time you stop saying 89.9 because you know what? BFM is so popular globally. So I just need to say BFM then? Just say BFM. In fact, just say Richard and they know who it is already. Wow. What have I done to deserve this praise today, Daniel? What, what, what kind of kick can I expect a little bit later on in the show? Wait and see. <laughs> Wait and see. As usual, the show is divided up into three parts. We've got some news and some cars up front with a pit stop in the middle and a new car review towards the end of the show. It's a Suki Swift 1.4 booster jet. Arif, um, take us away with a bit of news then. Right, so uh, Mercedes-Benz. That's why we're going to start with this week because last week held a media discussion to introduce their new CEO and president of Mercedes-Benz Malaysia, Sagri Sardin. She has over 20 years of experience in Daimler with a huge chunk of that being uh, in head of sales positions in markets all over the world. So a lot of good things to be said about that. But also in this meeting, they also addressed some burning questions that the media had, specifically about EV adoption in Malaysia because mm. recently we've heard a few plans being made by other luxury manufacturers and government groups to uh, accelerate EV adoption in Malaysia, such as building partnerships, yeah. charging networks, uh, roll-up plans and car launches, etc. But uh, a lot of people were wondering where Mercedes-Benz Malaysia was in this picture as one of the leading luxury car brands in Malaysia and, of course, the world. And, of course, uh, as we spoke about last week, due to their uh, newly launched Mercedes EQ range of cars... So in this conversation, Mercedes said they do see similar opportunities and challenges here in Malaysia when compared to the other market. And I guess they can say that because they're such a big brand, strong, powerful brand, right? They'll be taking on a digital and tech offensive in the next uh, five years or so in Malaysia that does include EVs and upgrading their dealer networks to be able to handle them. Uh, at the moment, plans are being made and drawn up, but they aren't able to say exactly what that looks like because their final decisions on what they do in Malaysia and how they do it depends on the policies that will be drawn up by the government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they say discussions have happened between the car industry and government authorities, but no clear guidelines have been written yet. So we kind of have to wait for that first before Mercedes gets to announce what they want to do, I guess. Uh, so no details about what the Mercedes EQ rollout will look like in Malaysia, the model lineup, whether there'll be local EV production, the charging network partnerships. They just said it's being worked on and those details will be sprinkled to us when the time comes. For now, though, they will be upgrading the dealer network to be able to handle electric cars and operate more digitally than ever before. So they're just taking up a notch from whatever they're doing now. Yeah. Adapting the dealer infrastructure is what they're doing as well to handle all of these EVs and upskill all of their employees and engineers to work on EVs and the digital fronts. So not much clear-cut details here, but it is indicative of what uh, Mercedes-Benz are planning to do. And of course, they are very, very serious about EVs, so much so that they've apparently ended PHEV, plug-in hybrid vehicle development. 
And if their history is anything to go by, the plans that they usually have tend to hit the ground running. And I feel like they'll do just that here in Malaysia. So positive stuff, I think, despite not really anything being said. Uh, any thoughts? My only worry is BMW is already making a very strong EV movement in Malaysia. You know, f- first with the iX and then now they're saying the i4 and a few other models. So mm. it's worrying to see that Mercedes is allowing, allowing BMW to move forward. Yeah. And then at the same time, Volvo has said that the XC40 electric, not the recharge, the full electric, will be coming in January, February. So has Mercedes got something up their sleeve or are they going to just launch one vehicle or are they going to have like five new electric vehicles in the showroom in the next few months? You know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens. I think it's uh, interesting to note that they are upskilling the workers as well. Uh, that's normally a good sign. It normally indicates that there's going to be an awful lot happening over the next few weeks and months. Yes. Yep. Or, or months and years, rather, I should say. Uh, if you're doing that, it shows that they have an investment in the future. So I'd, I'd guess it's more than one model, at least. You're right, Richard. It has to be at least a few models because, you know, training all these workers to do EVs is not cheap. It's like, you know, hiring software engineers and electrical yeah. engineers, you know? Yeah. So I do feel like, uh, you know, some sometimes uh, with these roll-up plans, like, you know, Porsche, they rolled out the Taycan and then BMW, they gave us this three-year plan. It seemed to me that Mercedes was saying that we are going to prepare ourselves so that when the time comes to launch EVs, we will have everything already set up. And all you have to do is go to a dealership and buy your new Mercedes-Benz EV. The network charging is everywhere. Yeah. So interesting stuff to see in the future. Very interesting. And you know, guys, okay, you heard it here first. Another you heard it here first. <laughs> I think we should pre-plan to open an EV training college. We can open it right next to our uh, chip development factory. In fact, we can use the same plot of land. <laughs> Funnily enough, gentlemen, I have an interview with Intel next week. Ah, oh. so ask them about this chip thing we want to, we want to start yeah. up. And not potato chips, okay? Computer chips. Yeah, yeah. And then batteries recycling in the same plot of land and an EV training college. Although my waistline is talking to me a lot about potato chips lately. But yes, you're right. I, should I, think, do I think we should do this, gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on about the um, EV future. You've got some more news about this, Arif. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's 2013 years and the sale of brand new combustion engine vehicles will be banned in several European cities like uh, the UK and France. The Italian government is actually talking to the EU in an attempt to shield their supercar makers, Ferrari and Lamborghini, from this transition to EV. Oh, wow. It's huge, isn't it? Mm. Goes against the grain. It's almost like they're looking at it as... These are our national treasures. And they are. They are pieces of art, honestly. Mm. Uh, So what they're arguing is that while they are backing EVs, you know, they've got the Fiat 500 electric cars, they've got a whole bunch of Stellantis products to go off on for their EV adventure. They are saying that low-volume high-end vehicles such as Ferrari and Lamborghini should be exempted from these rules because the lower sales volumes will contribute less to the average emissions that's being put out there. So in, in simple words, it's electrify the commuter cars. Yes, Fiat 500 EVs, Fiat Puntos, but keep the hybrid internal combustion engines for performance and enthusiast cars. And um, I want to get you guys' thoughts on this because some people are up in arms about this saying that, of course, electric cars are faster, better for the environment, therefore makes better performance cars. But the combustion engine has had over a century of development and really... The only problem with it to me is the fuel. Thoughts? Well, I think the problem here, when I read the news on this and I did the article on it, I was trying to do a little bit of research. The reason why this is happening, because A, the Italians are very proud of their their big capacity supercars, okay? Mm. And then you got, what about Lexus? They got a beautiful V8, okay? Yeah. 
they have to let it go. Why would they need to let it go? I am sure a lot of this big car manufacturers, of course, then the Americans, of course, you know, they have their big V8s and V12s. So they still want to have that little bit of passion, you know, like having a Mustang or having a Lexus V8. So mm. the Italians want to do it. And the Germans, you know, the, the BMW M5 and the Mercedes AMG and everything. But so I think what's happening here is they're waiting for the next Fast and Furious movie <laughs> to highlight their cars. And then they'll say goodbye because... These are the cars that have not been highlighted in any Fast and Furious movie. This is your thought process, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> have you had your lunch yet? Your, your dinner, rather? Uh, no. <laughs> there are a lot of people who, who still believe that, you know, the internal combustion engines will live on mainly because it makes sense. You know, it's mechanical, it's easy to mend. We've had 100, over 100 years of development on it and there's literally anybody can kind of understand how it works but an electrical system right now is not very easy to understand because we're not at we're not accustomed to that world yet i'm going to play devil's advocate here i love you know the internal combustion engine you know and i i love the complex the complexity of it it is complex you know and we i know daniel you heard us talking about this on uh, the matt splain show a couple of weeks ago yes uh, about the history of the motor vehicle and you know how it was a steam engine then electrical engine then to petrol engine and um, backwards and forwards in the future moving forward i think the majority of vehicles on the road will be you know electric driven one way or another whether it's plug-in hybrid or, or whatever um i honestly don't see us returning full scale to full-on development of um internal combustion engines i just don't and i think that that is because of the way in which the younger generation are thinking now they want to move towards sustainability they want to see this whole movement away from what they see as pollution and noise and whatever and admittedly, you know, electricity and battery tech isn't as clean as it could be just yet, but it's getting there eventually. And I think there is going to be that huge, huge movement of, right, enough is enough. Let's get rid of these dirty things and let's move on. As much as we want to kind of fight against that and hear the roar of a, you know, V8, a V12 or whatever it is, it's just going to be the enthusiasts that are left with their ICE engines. I totally agree with that. It's just that the, one of the main issues that uh, people have raised about electric cars especially is not just the range but the efficiency of the long distance for now yeah 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 for now mainly because you know it's always running at full torque all the time yeah uh, but this is a problem that obviously a lot of the heavy machinery and people who build trucks are looking at and they've gone ahead and uh, tried two new different methods of keeping the internal combustion engines running which at the moment electric propulsion doesn't have the answer to and, and that's in one is the hydrogen combustion engine that's mm. i don't really truly understand all of this yet but uh, from what i understand the hydrogen combustion engine is just putting uh you know feeding the car with hydrogen and using the engine to combust the hydrogen i mean that's essentially using the same fuel network that we have we don't have to build a new infrastructure mm. the cars trucks and the heavy machinery can still run for hours on end without having to refuel or recharge. And uh, the other one is that's being worked on is the synthetic fuel. Mm. It itself is hydrogen-based. It emits very small amounts of carbon exhaust gases in the 10 grams area, but is less combustible than petrol. So these two are huge things that can extend the life of the IC, especially you know when it comes to heavy machinery. I think it's quite interesting things that could 
I don't know. I've I've just felt that electric cars are just so difficult to you know wrap your head around in terms of how the infrastructure will work because you can do electric cars in the city center, but mm. for people who drive further than two hundred kilometers a day or one hundred and fifty kilometers, one hundred kilometers a day, it's just not practical. No, I completely agree. We're getting into a different topic here, and we're kind of getting off off topic. But it has to be about. You guys smart. sound so sad. You know, I was listening to you the last time. What did you sound so sad? It has to be about. Smart city design, right? And yes. until we have smart city design, we're not going to have smarter vehicles. And, you know, uh, we hear about the, the, these kind of ideas being thrown around, but you're right. Not any time soon here in Malaysia are we going to see fully-fledged smart cities. And until we start seeing that, you know, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So let's just wait. Yes, let's just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get back to some arguing? Yes, yes let's yes. do that. And something more interesting. The Subaru WRX, that's been launched, and um, it's uh, obviously the WRX, a rally icon. It doesn't look iconic anymore because it's, it's, it's not attractive to me. It, oh. You know, honestly, I looked at this car and I was quite sad because it looks very much like a sedan version of the XV crossover. I mean, the front of, obviously, but the biggest problem is they've got cladding on the side, which you put on crossovers. Exactly. <laughs> this is a sports sedan. Why do you put black cladding on the sides? And it's so obvious on the orange car. If you look at the pictures, you know, it just doesn't make sense. On the white car, it looks even worse. You know, on the dark yeah. blue car, okay, because dark blue, the black, sort of hidden. But come on, Subaru, what happened here? <laughs> it looks like it's been stepped on as well. You know, yes, it, yes. It, the greenhouse is too small. Uh, yeah, it, it just looks like they've, they've taken the old WRX, stepped on it a little bit, and plonked on the things on the sides. Yes, mm. and that center and the interior center console. My God. <laughs> yeah, we we all know how much you dislike these screens, especially one as big as that. That, that is just more... way too big. I mean, that's for someone who's really got a sight problem. It, yeah, agree. <laughs> I mean, even even if you go back to like Knight Rider, you know, yes. even his center console was not that digital. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, even the Volvo XC90 has got a mm. big console but not as big as this you know why so do I they need all that yeah i think i think subaru has just made a big mistake here and you know i gotta have a word with them yeah i think so i yep. think so you know what i think they were thinking when they were um doing the cladding on the side mm. it's trying to play on that rally pedigree that it doesn't have anymore <sighs> what, what do they call that color daniel that orangey color oh that one they call it <laughs> 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 I'm trying to spell it out, but, you know, I, I, I thought I'll sound it out for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I can't go for that orange. Like. Me neither. I, I've really tried as well. You know, it's not even Fanta orange, you know? Mm. Just a little bit more about the cladding. Um, if you look at the rear, the plastic cladding almost takes up 50% of the entire rear fascia, which is like, yes, yes. it's just wrong. I mean, obviously, looks are subjective. If you are still looking for a Subaru that drives like a Subaru, apparently it drives exactly like a Subaru WRX that you remember, only that it possesses the highest levels of dynamic performance and ride comfort in history. That's in quotes. Uh, but 2.4-liter turbo boxer, 271 horsepower, 258 pound-feet of torque, and they offer it either in a six-speed manual gearbox or something called a Subaru Performance Transmission, which is a CVT gearbox, uh, that can simulate either a six-speed or an eight-speed gearbox. Don't know why you would want that in your mm. WRX, but I guess that's something <laughs> saleable. One thing I'll tell you, the drive dynamics of this car will be awesome. The whole you know, handling and the comfort and the, and the combination of both, they would have got it perfect because that's what Subaru does with their all-wheel drive technology, their engine performance, the boxer, the, the whole boxer experience. 
It's just the packaging. Why did they get the packaging wrong? And you know, over the years, Subaru has made this mistake many times. Yeah. There's always been... Okay, remember the Impreza hatchback? Yeah, when that first came out. That was a mistake. They should have kept it a sedan. Then they realized that the next model was back to being a sedan. Then they had the bug eye, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that again, you know, they quickly changed it to a nice sleeker headlamp. So they've always had a problem with design. So I think they need to hire a new design team. But everything else, engineering top-notch does it still you know give the same iconic feel as the impressors of of the past though no i don't know because i've not driven this car but you know i've driven a lot of subarus i own an old subaru and i just love subaru engineering but when it comes to design i think mm, you know it's time to get a new team close your eyes until you get in the car yes yes um anyway uh, on to another iconic car there's been a new one that's called the nissan gtr t spec mm, and this was only introduced yesterday you know yeah, um, T-Spec marks the return of, you know, the olden days of the R33, R34 GTRs where they had the V-Spec, S-Spec. Mm. There were so many different versions of the GTR back then. So this new one is riding on the Japanese sports car wave where, you know, we got the new Supra, we got the new Nissan 400Z. So Nissan said, we'll give you the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate GTR because this is limited to 100 units, Japan only, comes in two special Nissan GTR colors called Midnight Purple or this beautiful jade colored and it comes with bronze wheels it has all the nismo track edition packs and the nismo goodies on it as well as some carbon fiber bits but the question i have for you guys is whether the gtr doesn't need to be refreshed it's it looks super iconic i think if you look at the gtr compared to any other sports car it looks like its own car right but it's 13 years old every time i see one of these i want one and I know I'm never going to be able to afford one. Same feeling. Every I, mean, time I just I love the one. look of this car. I love the way it sounds, you know? Yeah. You know, I love all that little bits and pieces of, you know, fender sculpture and rear spoiler and everything else. Yeah. And then you get in, it's just excitement overload. <laughs> yeah. So regardless of it being 13 years old or whatever, and whether, no, it doesn't need a refresh. It's perfect. Leave yeah. it alone, Arif. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit on the expensive side, but you, you, know. you know, Richard, you know why Arif is not happy? Mm. No big screen, bro. Ah. <laughs> no. <laughs> analog meters. He cannot he cannot understand analog meters. <laughs> What is this no. thing swinging up and down? <laughs> I mean, if you look at the interior, right, it's kind of old style. Maybe the switches can be slightly jazzed up a little bit. Um, jazzed up? <laughs> I don't know. It just looks a little bit on the old side. It looks old in the way that an iPhone 4 looks old compared to an oh, iPhone 8. I, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I, I think were this interior in any other vehicle, we'd probably say, yeah, it could do with a bit of a refresh. But it's not, is it? It's in one of these. It's a GTR interior. Yeah. It's got a big new GTR badge in the middle. It does have a huge new GTR badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with it. I mean, I love the colors. I think they're, they're a beautiful uh, selection of colors. Do you guys want to know what the price of this car is? The super special ultimate edition of this GTR is mm, Tell Japan. us, tell us, tell us. 600,000 ringgit. That's cheap. Oh my word. Cheap. For one of the world's fastest and most iconic supercars. Exactly. I mean, that's before taxes. But you know, even if you add everything on, on top, it's not even a million ringgit. Amazing. And yeah. I bet there's not even any left right now either. Sold up, sold up, sold up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, shall we move along, gentlemen? Yes. Yes. Wow, that was less arguing than I thought. <laughs> anyway, folks, you tuned in to Cruise Control, of course, the car show here on BFM with myself, Arif, and Daniel. I want to take a short break. When we come back, a pit stop with a real pit stop here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. <laughs> Thank you.
Because Freedom Matters. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. I'm on the phone lines with Arif Roos. He's the man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, everybody. And of course, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the number one car show in the world. Now, if you've heard of the Shell Strait, the Lucas Loop, the Rothmans Corner, and the Pitts Bend, you might know what we're about to talk about. What is it, Daniel? The Batutiga Racer Kid. Ah. Mm. Tell us all about it then. Only people of certain ages will understand what I'm talking about. And the reason why I'm bringing up the Batutiga Racer Kid, it's been long gone. It's, it went away so many years ago, but I remember it as a young man. It was the place to go if you want to watch motor racing, real, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing. And it was one of those tracks which you, you, you get a view from any angle. It's because it's small, it's nippy, it's tight, and it's it's almost in a in a very small valley, as you might put it, you know? Because mm. the surrounding area is a little bit higher. Anyway, I'll put all that aside. The Batu Tiga circuit was forced into retirement because of Sepang. Now, the reason why I brought this up last week, I wrote an article on this, is I was noticing that there's been lately a lot of accidents in a lot of highways. And, you know, of course, that, that famous Uluyam stretch which people are using as a racetrack, which is very dangerous because mm. there's villagers on left and right and, you know, people are stopping and, and buying things from the villagers and, you know, cars are zooming past. We've seen cars go into ravines, uh, head-on crashes, motorcyclists being injured. And, you know, all this is because you don't have a city race circuit, mm-hmm. an inner city race circuit. Now, they could have built Sepang without forcing Batutiga into retirement. But this is all political. And I don't want to go into the politics of it because then the show will stretch until, you know, 12 midnight. <laughs> the most important thing to understand is today, if you go to Batutiga, I, I know, Richard, you're not familiar with this because you came slightly after Batutiga was closed. And, and RF, you were too young, you know, you're still in your dark blue and white uniform going to school, you know. Basically, you know, this circuit, if you go to the, 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 the location now, it's some shop houses, empty, some houses in a gated community, all a bit, you know, run down. Some parcels of land in between just left with lalang and all kinds of friendly rodents living on it. And why? This is all political. And if they had maintained the circuit, it's just off Federal Highway, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just off Federal Highway. There used to be a huge car for next to it. Sorry, not car for macro. Mm. And now it's a, it's a different uh, hypermarket. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, those days... It was easy to get to, you know, like I used, I grew up in Bangsa when I was a young lad, you know, and, um, you know, we'll be sitting at the stalls having a teh tare and then we'll say, hey, boring now, nothing much to do. Like, you know, you know, those days you don't have money to go to a nightclub or go to a bar or anything like that. So what do you do? You go and seek entertainment like this and then you just drive to the circuit, which is 15 minutes away. Mm. You load up the car with like eight people. So each one gives 50 cents to put petrol in, you know, <laughs> to get you there. And then you watch one, two hours of neck-to-neck racing. And then, you know, the people who came and raced, some of them were mechanics, some of them came in slippers. You know, these are not professional racers. These were people just having fun, you know? And you had, in terms of, you know, in the in those days, you got marshals, you got officials and everything else. You could see accidents, you know? Of course, the cars are not breakneck speed. They're not V8, V12 Italian monsters. But you did have, you know, the old Nissans, the old Toyotas, old Fords, a lot of minis. Yep. Mm. And these were fun to see. They were not going fantastically fast, so they were fast enough to build our adrenaline, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, I tell you, guys, the eye candy <laughs> that used to be trackside. My word. We've seen all the photos. That I'm no one phone. <laughs> 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 Probably a good 
a good thing. Uh, camera is so very expensive, you know. But I tell you, the eye candy was great. So, you know, you could meet people, you, you catch up with friends. I think we should uh, say that the eye candy we're talking about are actually the amounts of different cars that are there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What were you talking about? No, no I just had to make that clear, you know. Oh, okay, keep okay. on the safe side of things. Okay, okay. So, I mean, this was a place to be. And then, you know, you could get access to the drivers, you could get, get access to the cars. And then a lot of the guys who came there own garages, own workshops. So they'll come to show off what they can do with an old Civic. I mean, at that time, it was new, like an old Nissan or whatever. Mm. And then people get excited and say, hey, can you do it to my car? So it's like, it's like a selling point from them. So this place became a hub for engineering talent, you know? Mm. Yeah. And also driving talent. I mean, I knew some of those drivers then. Today, of course, you know, they're in their 50s or late 40s or early 60s. These were talented guys, but they didn't have big budgets. They didn't have big advertising and branding behind them. So they couldn't go to the next level. You understand or not? Yeah. Now, when Sepang opened, yes, it was great. Fantastic track. But, you know, one of these cars go on Sepang. Then you <laughs> go have your coffee, come back. You know, because the track is so big, you know. And you can't see the action all around the track. That's number one. Number two, the engineering talent that goes there, it's all a level up. Because why? It's expensive. It's expensive to play on that track. The cost and everything else. I'm not saying they're overcharging. That is the way it is. Mm. And, and Sepang has been a huge benefit to Malaysia. Apart from Formula One races and MotoGP, I was surprised to find out many years ago that, that Sepang is booked out the whole year for foreign tyre tests, motorcycle testing, engine testing, different car companies come and do product testing there without informing the locals. You know what I mean? They fly in, do their tests and they go out because it's a fantastic track for testing, you know? Mm. So it's brought in a lot of revenue. It's brought in a lot of work. That track has been properly used. But why did you retire Batu Tiga? Yep. Can you imagine if Batu Tiga was still running today? If I had a car to test drive, that's where I'll go. I'll pay a little bit of money. I'll go around the track. I'll get some timings done, you know, handling costs, everything else. So what do a lot of journalists like me do? We have to go on the street. We have to go on an open road. And can we push it to the limit? No. And then mm. some of them do. And they go to places like Uluyam and Kuala Kelawang and all that. And this is where they cause problems, you know. Mm. So we need something like Batu Tiga. I mean, I can't go to Sepang every, every weekend and test drive a car. It's just too much cost for me. Mm. You know, if I want to bring my camera crew to do something, there's two cars going. Mm. There's toll, there's petrol. And then, you know, it's it's just not feasible, you know? Yep. So this is the sad thing about Batu Tiga circuit. What year did it close again? Sorry, um, Daniel? Uh, honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> a few years ago though, right? Oh, like- more than a decade ago. More than a decade ago. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think almost 20 years ago, you know? And, you know, honestly, if we, if we talk to the older racers, uh, the, the, the guys who used to race 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, Mm. They've got fantastic memories about Batu Tiga. Mm. You know? Fantastic memories. And we used to get some great... We had international drivers coming. Yep. Once in a while, you had great races like, you know, the JPS BMW team. You had the Asian Festival of Speed. And then, of course, towards the end of Batu Tiga, they had the Satria GTI race. They had the Satria race. Mm. You know, Proton was actively involved. There were races nearly every weekend. And then you can see all these young upstarts coming with their Protons and trying to do better. So it was a great engineering hub, you know, for automotive engineering, which has been lost. Mm. It's sad. It's been lost. What a shame. The kind of place you can just rock out to on a weekend, Friday, Saturday night, sit and watch people going around. Yeah, I would like that. Huge community building exercise. <laughs> exactly. Even the community was huge. And you see, now everybody's using a street circuit. And that's where the police can't control this. They can't be everywhere all the time, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. And the engineering talent is gone because why? they can't show it off properly, you know? Mm. So, sad. I think I just want to say something because, you know, I've been one thing in thinking of going into, you know, casual racing, racing with some friends, 
going on out on Sepang and everything. But one of the things that made me delay this decision for so long because of how not fun it is to drive a slow car on Sepang. Exactly. Because there are so many straights, long bends, and you're just going to, you know, you're just revving the car and all the way up the hill, make the happen bend and shoot out again at 80 kilometers an hour. Mm. It's just not that fun. But to think of, like, it's kind of been like a legend or a, in a way, in some ways, a myth to be because I've never seen it. Just looking at Google Maps and looking at all the photos of the old track or where the track used to be, it seemed like this kind of cozy place where you could race your, like Daniel said, your little minis, your little Toyotas and everything. It looked like a more comfortable place to race in. And the other thing is, by some magical algorithm that Daniel wrote this article last week, I stumbled upon a YouTube channel which visited all of these old racetracks around Europe. And a lot of these old racetracks, they did preserve some of that heritage. They kept the old pit stops. They kept the corners, the sausage curbs along the side. Mm. But you look at what it has become now, you know, there's no trace of what was previously there. There's no trace of a racetrack. It just looks like any other place in any other neighborhood in Malaysia. And that is so sad. Before we end, I just want to say this, you know, there is a Facebook page for a lot of memories on Batutika. It's called the Shah Alam Racing Circuit Facebook page. You can go and look for it. A lot of the, the old timers have been taking up pictures, you know, still pictures. They take a digital photograph. They're uploading information. The following is huge and it's growing. And I think, you know, something should be done to revive motor racing in Klang Valley. And I'm just hoping, you know, some isolated car park project might be converted very soon. I'm, I'm just hoping for something like that to happen. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a break. Oh, we've had some sad moments on today's show, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the death of the internal combustion engine a little bit earlier on. Uh, and now, uh, that all about Batu Tiga Race Circuit, uh, how it's uh, dearly missed, um, especially for Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Yeah, tissue, anyway, please. Let's, yeah, let's get some tissues. Uh, let's take a short break. And when we come back, uh, maybe a, a bit of happiness with a uh, car review. Oh, what have we got? It's a Suzuki Swift. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Bombing frustrated minds. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Of course, I'm still on the phone with Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. And of course, uh, Arif Ruse, he's that man with the news. A whole bunch of stuff lined up for you earlier on in the show. If you've missed that part of the show, you can listen back to it uh, via the podcast, which is uh, available wherever you normally listen to them from, or we recommend the BFM app. It's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play, and you can get us on the website as well. That's bfm.my. Um, final part of the show, we're now into a car review. It's the uh, Suzuki Swift Sport Booster Jet Test Drive Review. That's a mouthful, huh? It is, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we all know the Suzuki Swift. It's been around for such a long time. It's, it's a nameplate that you cannot forget. But the GTI Suzuki Swift was actually from the first generation model, which was, I think, like 30 years ago. I've not seen any on the road since then. If you go back to the history books or, you, you know, you do a Google search, this car was small. It was like a Daihatsu Cherie, you know, really small hatchback. Quick, agile, fun. It, it had all the elements that people wanted. And this was the kind of car you'll find at the Batutika race circuit. Mm-hmm. Over the years, of course, it was improved. The shape changed and everything else. The last Suzuki Swift Sport that came to Malaysia was about seven years ago. They had an automatic and a manual. Very good idea was having a manual. 
It sold for about just over 100,000 ringgit and it was fully imported from Japan. Till today, you see owners loving it. Very hard to find a second-hand one in the market. Mm-hmm. I managed to find one for 70,000 ringgit, mm-hmm. which is quite impressive because can you imagine seven years old, the car was about 103, 104,000 brand new and the guy is still asking for 70,000 and he sold it. So there's still a demand. I am not surprised. In fact, some weeks ago, we did a story about, you know, the, the return of the Satria GTI. Mm-hmm. Yep. And actually, we should have looked at the Swift GTI because that's a better buy, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of interior quality and power and everything. But anyway, put all that aside. <laughs> so now comes the Suzuki Swift Sport Booster Jet. Now, about five months ago, a new brand Guardian turned up, which is NASA Eastern Sindrian Berhad under the NASA Group. They opened one flagship showroom. They haven't opened any more showrooms as yet because, you know, pandemic and everything else. So they launched the Suzuki Swift Sport. Now it's called a Booster Jet. It's a brand new engine. 1.4 turbocharged and it's slightly bigger, slightly longer, slightly wider than the previous model. The most important thing is this is a 1.4 liter engine that's producing more power than the previous engine because of the new system and turbocharger. Now, the sad thing is they only have automatic version available with pedal shift. But mm. to me, you know, end of the day, yes, we all want manual gearboxes. I'm a true car enthusiast. My cars are all manual. But when you think about it, with traffic jam and all, you want to live with it daily. And especially with the traffic jam coming back now after the pandemic, a six-speed auto with a pedal shift, okay, can work around it. So I was lucky enough to take it out for a test drive just last week. Just after the lockdown was over, they called me and said, listen, the car is ready. Would you like to take it? I said, of course. We did test drive it right after its launch, but that was a short test drive for about two kilometers just to get a feel. This time around, we got it for three days. And I tell you, three days, I've never been happier (laughs) to have a car for three days simply because this car was A, nippy, B, super comfortable for what it is, even with stiff suspension and everything. And C, it's so easy to park, so easy to live with. It's got, you know, Recaro seats, uh, automatic aircon, nice, big, bright analog meters, you know, analog, you know, dials, you know. And <laughs> it's then still got a screen in the middle there. You've got a screen in the middle that gives you a lot of interesting information like boost, temperature, this, that. It's nice to play with. Like You, you can see all the colors running. Uh, I'll, I'll, the video will be up on DSF uh, in a couple of days' time. But more importantly is this car was so much fun to drive. I could actually see myself smiling some of the times I was driving the car. <laughs> and even with the restrictions still in certain places, I was just driving it and driving it. I was driving it to nowhere. Just going to Shalom, coming back, going to Klang, coming back. You know, just, just driving it. Because why? It was just a fun car. And mm. what I realized is I missed something like this. And then when I started looking back, I said, in the last few years in Malaysia, we've not had a real compact hot hatch. Because why? The Volkswagen Polo GTI discontinued, right? Mm-hmm. Fiesta ST discontinued. Renault Clio discontinued. The Kia Rio, not selling anymore. I mean, Kia Rio is not a really hot hatch, but you know, it's it's in that same mold, you know? Uh, the Hyundai i30. Proton doesn't have a hot hatch. Yep. Uh, Perdua, of course, doesn't have a hot hatch. They were supposed to come up with a Myvi hot hatch, but it didn't happen. So you don't have a rival. So what's the closest rival? A base Mini Cooper, a base BMW 1 Series, a base A-Class, which are all about 200,000 ringgit. Now, this car comes in at 135,000 ringgit. So... Honestly, I think bang for your buck, if you're looking for something fun, something that's really going to give you a smile on your face every day when you drive, even when you're driving in traffic jam, I think look at this. Problem is, and I only realized that on the second day when, you know, some of my neighbors actually looked at the car and said, hey, is this new new Suzuki? More started asking and then as I drove around, certain people asked me because you don't see it on the road because since it's launched, I think they only deliver like 20 units in the whole country. Yeah. Mm. 
what people didn't realize was that this car was a brand new model of the Suzuki Swift because the basic shape is still there. It's just the, the headlamp, the tail lamp, the bumper, you know, a little bit of creases here. They just did a nip and tuck. But inside, it's totally different. Yep. Now, with everybody who talked to me, even those with, you know, a little bit of money and those with not so much money, when I mentioned the price, there was a the facial expression, I should have just had a video running. Everybody <laughs> like, oh, 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 one, three, nine, oh, oh, no, why? Why so expensive? So in my article, you'll notice that I've actually started the first paragraph by explaining what is the price of this car around our region. Now, why I say around the region is because Australia gets the same model, exact same model. Uh, Singapore gets it. Thailand gets it. And of course, you know, New Zealand and, and the region. If you look at the pricing structure of a right-hand drive Suzuki Swift Sport 1.4 booster jet, it's all between 99 to 130,000 because certain countries, the tax structure is different. Of course, Singapore, it's, it's a ridiculous price because of the COE. But what I'm trying to tell you is this Malaysian pricing is on par with what everybody else is charging with our local taxes in place. It's not that they've mm. added some ridiculous price to it, you know? Yep. On top of that, before NASA Eastern launched the Suzuki brand in Malaysia, some AP holders were bringing in this car in small numbers. Because this model has been around for three years, you know, in, in, in Japan. So they were bringing the exact same spec, you know, uh, six-speed semi-automatic gearbox, um, I mean, with pedal shifters, 1.4 booster jet engine and all that. And they were selling the cars for between 160 to 170. Big profit margin. Yes. And these were second-hand cars, no warranty, no after-sales. Now, after NASA Eastern launched their car, there were some on the used car classified, suddenly 20,000 discount, 15,000 discount. So they had brought their prices down to 138, 135, 140. But again, these are two, three-year-old cars with no after-sales and no warranty. Mm. And yet they were pricing it same as the new car. Yep. You get what I mean? And then the, the funny thing is, after I uploaded my story about the car launch, people tell me, oh, you know, overpriced, the dealership is charging too much. I said, listen, look at the price of the grey import one. Look at the price of the second-hand one. They are not overcharging you. This is market price. Because why? In Europe, the Suzuki Swift Sport Booster Jet, this exact same car, sits side by side with a lot of European models in the same price range. It's yep. just that these European cars are not being sold here. You understand what I mean, Anna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in theory, if you're looking for a hot hatch, something fun, something that's really going to put a smile on your face, and I do say that in all honesty, this Suzuki Swift at 140,000, 139,000 actually, is actually quite value for money. And 1.4 engine, your road tax is so cheap, 140 brake horsepower, so your fuel consumption is good if you drive around gingerly, if you don't be a hot hatch yuppie like me. And 230 newton meters of torque, if you really want to chase up some European car with a driver thinking he's got a lot of power, you can chase up because this car is so light. How light is it? Under one ton, 970 kilos. That thing's going to shift. Yes. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's around the, the, the weight of a Mazda MX-5 Roadster. Uh-huh. So you can do the 0 to 100 dash in 8 seconds. Okay, you have a top speed of 205 kilometers an hour. You got a full arsenal of safety features. What else do you want? And it's fully imported. It's got bucket seats too. Yep. So I think you should at least go and take it for a test drive before totally dismissing it. There might be one competitor, and not a direct competitor, but you know, in the same sort of fun hot hatch feel. Okay. Without actually being a hot hatch. And that could be the Mazda 2. 1.5 liter engine is 30 horsepower down at 110 horsepower. Uh, not as fast, not as sporty. I don't think it drives as well as this Swift, but 
The Swift just seems a little bit compromised by the price because it doesn't look special enough. Hundred forty thousand mm. ringgit. That's true. You see, if 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 Honda had a new CRZ, then it'll be like a direct competitor. And the CRZ looks special, you know, slow, sleek, you know, sharp mm. nose and mm. everything else. Yep. This one looks like a Golf GTI kind of car, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super sensible. Yeah, Polo GTI kind of look. Or a Peugeot 208 GTI. Yeah. And even the Peugeot 208 GTI is no longer on sale. So, you know, no competition here. But would you spend an extra 40000 on all this extra sporty kit over the Mazda 2? You see, the Mazda 2 to me is not a hot edge. It's a nice, comfortable city commuter car. It's a fun car. But it won't put a smile on my face like this car, you know? It's not special. Mm. Yep. You know, but... It's a, it's a nice, reliable commuter car. It's a great second car in the house or, you know, a, a family that's moving up the ladder. Maybe, you know, from a Myvi or a Proton, they want to move up the ladder. Okay, you're going to get a Mazda 2. And it's reasonably spacious. But this is a real fun car. I mean, if, if you're, like, for you, Arif, if tomorrow you get married, you know, wow. and, and, you, and you have <laughs> twins, you still have isofix points at the back. You can still carry your twins, you know? <laughs> that's a big if. Huh. You never know. Never say never, Arif. Never say never. And then, if you know, if you insist, if you really insist on buying your station wagon to do your furniture business, your wife can still drive this car and she'll be super happy. Yeah. Mm. And then you can take it out on the weekends. Yeah. Win-win situation for all. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. On that note, before Arif gets himself into any more trouble, it's probably time for us to wrap up for today's show. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for sitting with us all the way through today's show, of course. Uh, we started off with some news and some cars. We had the Mercedes-Benz uh, news from uh, Malaysia's EV plans. Sorry. We had Mercedes-Benz Malaysia's EV plans at the top of the show. Uh, some exceptions on uh, ICE bands over in Europe. The Subaru WRX, the Nissan GTR T-Spec. What a beauty. Bit of a pit stop with a pit stop. All about Batu Tiga Speedway. Wrapping up there, of course, with a car review of the Suzuki Swift 1.4 booster jet. If you missed any part of the show, head over to the BFM website where you can stream the show from there or download the podcast. We recommend using the BFM app. It's in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury on behalf of Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my and Arif Ruz, the man with the news. This has been Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.